Hello. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host for today, Robbie Martin. On today's Media Roots Radio, I'm going to be going very deep into the rabbit hole of anti-China neocon propaganda. Now, the Asia pivot, as people call it, by the foreign policy establishment in D.C., has been happening for quite a while. In fact, the Asia pivot started before the so-called Cold War 2.0 paradigm started to really hit critical mass in the U.S. media, pundit, and intelligence spheres. While the last six years or so of geopolitical discussions in the media have revolved around Russia and Putin trying to become a competitive global power against the United States. Something else has been happening under the radar, under the surface of that, that hasn't been getting as much media attention. A growing adversarial climate towards China. Now, from what it appears from my research about this, is that a lot of the people who are obsessed with Russia and Putin, a lot of the neocons, neoliberal hawks, D.C. foreign policy wonks who work for think tanks in Washington, D.C., like Strobe Talbot, Brookings, the Atlantic Council, those kinds of think tanks, Council on Foreign Relations, were, very, were more heavily focused on Russia and Putin for the past several years. At the same time, a lot of the neocon think tanks that were more focused on Iran, like the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, like the Center for Security Policy run by Frank Gaffney, were really at the tip of the spear of going against China and their government and putting out a lot of scaremongering about what China was up to. This was all mostly under the radar, under the surface, in D.C., until Trump got in office. The Asia pivot might have been something that was happening behind the scenes and you know, was changing the way that D.C. think tank policy wonks would talk about world events, but it didn't really hit the public consciousness until Trump became president. And we started to see a really, really distinct ramp-up of anti-Chinese propaganda in the United States, specifically. Now, I'm not going to go too much into the actual accusations made about the Chinese government in this podcast. But just in general, what we've been seeing for the past several years since Trump got in office is a ramping up of anti-Chinese rhetoric and propaganda in the United States media sphere that mimics and is similar to the build-up and the adversarial media coverage against Russia in the four years previous to this. When Trump got in office, one of the things that he started to push and that a lot of his followers and right-wing media loyalists started to push was encouraging a trade war with China. And for various reasons, this was encouraged because China was, quote-unquote, screwing us, quote-unquote, holding us hostage. And also a thing that a lot of these wonks really leaned on is that China was stealing our IP, our intellectual property, computer software, and things like that. 
and that China didn't deserve the economic position that they had found themselves in because it was all based on stolen IP. Now, this is an accusation we've heard for years and years, so it's not anything new, but from 2016 to 2017, this rhetoric really ramped up. Then we started to get into the South China Sea expansionism stuff, that China was an imperial power trying to create a stranglehold on the South China Sea. Even Steve Bannon talked about how within 10 years we will be at war in the South China Sea, alluding to some kind of military conflict with Russia. Then we started hearing a lot about Chinese spies, infiltrators in the U.S. government, even in Canadian labs and things like that, that were being nabbed. Then, of course, we started to get a lot of stuff about the Chinese cyber war against us, that China's disinformation and cyber attacks were being directed at the United States. And at the same time, Russia was also doing it. But from 2016 to 2017, most of the media coverage was focused on Russia's quote-unquote cyber war or disinformation campaigns, although there were some media outlets talking about China. Then, sort of towards the end of the first year of Trump's presidency, the Alex Jones fringe narrative about the Chai Coms, the Chinese communist government, started to actually take float within high levels of the Trump administration and within the right-wing media spheres as a whole. So you started to see the Infowars narrative bleeding into the mainstream right narrative. But specifically, not just the reference to the Chinese government, communist government being chai comms, which is how Alex Jones refers to them, but specifically this idea that the quote-unquote chai comms and the quote-unquote globalists worked together against the patriots and the nationalists like Trump. So you had this sort of more vague narrative forming that all the Democrats and the deep state and the globalists were actually somehow in cahoots with the chai comms against the American patriots. Now, we didn't start to get that deep state narrative until later on, but it started to form back as early as 2016 to 2017 that the globalists and the chai comms worked together against the United States, and the quote-unquote nationalist patriots. Now it took on a whole new level once we got to 2018 to 2019. This is when it really started to resemble the sort of slow trickle of anti-Russia, anti-Putin propaganda. And specifically, it seemed to be designed to upset people on the left side of the political spectrum. People on the right side of the political spectrum, largely because of Trump's trade war with China and rhetoric about China, had already decided they hated China and thought they were the enemy. Um, they wouldn't necessarily talk about it that strongly, but they already felt that way. Now, in 2018, we started to see a ramp up of propaganda. 2018 to 2019, we started to see a ramp up of Propaganda directed at American liberals and progressives that, re that really honed in on this idea that China was a totalitarian, authoritarian government that was crushing its own people. Now, like I said before, I, did this, I, I started this rant or this intro, I am not going to be necessarily commenting on the level of truthfulness or these actual accusations in and of themselves. Instead, what I will be doing 
is I will be breaking down some of these accusations and examining them through the lens of being U.S. propaganda. Now, some of these issues might have a kernel of truth to it. However, that doesn't mean that they're not basically propaganda campaigns that are being sponsored by the CIA, U.S. government entities, U.S. state-funded media outlets like Radio Free Asia, and neoconservatives and surrogates from the Trump administration, from the State Department and CIA, who are out there going on TV spreading this propaganda. The Hong Kong protests dominated a large percentage of the media coverage about China in the past year or so. Now, we did a podcast, Abby and I did, with Sheila Yao about how a lot of those Hong Kong protests and the protest leaders were actually identifying with far-right leaders in the United States and being sponsored by them. Um, One of them in particular was a very young media multimillionaire in China who met with John Bolton and Mike Pompeo, who was actually pushing, broadcasting a lot of this stuff, promoting the protests in China. Now, just like Euromaidan and Ukraine, a lot of the footage that we saw here from the U.S. media about the Hong Kong protests was really cool and edgy, and these people looked like really masked up, and they were fucking cool-ass protesters. What they didn't show us was things like a student at one of the universities in China who was starting to throw away parts from one of the roadblocks that the protesters made. He was just sort of moving it off the side of the road. A protester runs up to him with a giant metal girder and smashes him on the head with it. And it literally looks like he murders the dude. It looks like the dude has a cracked skull and he starts bleeding out of his nose and his ears and shit. It's fucking scary. Um, But these are the things that the U.S. media, of course, doesn't show us. Just like they don't show us how in Venezuela, uh, the protesters are literally lynching and burning black people alive in the streets the anti-Maduro protesters. They won't show us that. Now, there was also a revival of things that we really didn't hear too much about since the 1990s. So we started to start hearing a lot more about Tibet, the Dalai Lama, Falun Gong. And I don't, this is not a coincidence that in, from the years 2018 to 2019 and beyond, we started to hear a lot more about this. Steven Soderbergh, in his last movie for Netflix, actually has a large part of the plot revolving around Falun Gong organ harvesting, which being mostly separated from the politics of China and what people say about China for the last 20 years, this is strange to me because I haven't really heard about these stories being pushed to us in the West since the 1990s Bill Clinton era. There's also more talk about Tibet. There's a lot of talk about Taiwan. We're seeing all this pressure now where different media outlets, mostly right-wing media outlets, are saying, why is so-and-so not recognizing Taiwan? Why is so-and-so not recognizing Tibet? And these little issues, these little wedge issues, at first, on the surface, they may seem like, yeah, why is so-and-so not recognizing Taiwan? Or why is so-and-so not recognizing Tibet? But then when you realize the deep and insidious political implications it has when these framings are sort of put out there, you immediately realize how manipulative they are because these are highly disputed territories. Not the, the entire international community does not agree that Taiwan is independent from China. It's not just because China has this influence all over, you know, over the entire world that they make people not talk about it. 
because that's what you know they want us to think it's because this is a very nuanced political situation and it's way more nuanced and complicated than than even like ukraine and crimea and russia trying to annex that far more nuanced uh, the Hong Kong protests, though, are very interesting because they were openly promoting sort of MAGA alt-right imagery. Peppy the Frog, MAGA hats, Trump's you know, face as a hero, save us Donald Trump. And if you're not fully aware of this, the Hong Kong protests were started over the idea that someone being arrested in Hong Kong could be extradited to China. Now, I could, on some level, understand the argument from these Hong Kong protesters that that's a terrifying prospect. However, it all started based around a dude murdering his pregnant wife and trying to flee to Hong Kong from China. So just think about that for a second, how ridiculous it is that these anti-China, free, you know, freedom Hong Kong protests started based on that. I mean, a dude who murdered his wife in cold blood while she was carrying his child. Now, we also saw in the last year, specifically in 2019, this idea that major corporations are, quote unquote, bowing to China and they're abandoning America. So we saw the right wing media really latch onto this idea that the NBA was bowing to China. And uh, you couldn't talk about the Uyghurs, you know. Some dude who was obviously like a total plant, Jamie Kirchick style, holds up a Uyghurs sign at an NBA game and the camera pans away to him. And all these right-wing media fucking phonies like Jack Posobiec and Mike Cernovich and these type of people showed the video as proof that the NBA was owned by China. They were bought out by China. Then you're you know, starting to see all these accusations that Disney and Hollywood is bowing to China because they edit things differently for a Chinese audience. Well, that's how Hollywood's always done shit. Not just for a Chinese audience, but for like audiences all over the world. They edit movies differently for India. They've been taking ghost-based things out of Chinese movies forever. Um, so, I mean, to make this seem like it's all just political and that China controls us, which is basically what this narrative is sort of leading towards is absolutely fucking absurd and then when you see people like matt stoller who's like some bernie you know for, i guess former bernie progressive leftist guy saying that wall street and china you know have this super close relationship and he's not talking very much about the american government it's just all about how the chinese government you know has this huge stranglehold over over wall street you just start to wonder what is this really all about is it once again trying to make it seem like a country, you know, like it really does remind you of the Russiagate Cold War 2.0 stuff. Like how they would say Putin is literally the richest man in the world and he has a secret fortune that he stole from all these oligarchs and, and people in Russia. I mean, that's a completely unprovable narrative that sounds totally unbelievable, but yet it's floated into the mainstream media sphere so no matter how big any of our oligarchs get, no matter how evil and corrupt some of our oligarchs here are in this country it doesn't matter ultimately because putin is more corrupt and more rich than they are i mean that's sort of the what that framework amounts to i think so it kind of reminds me of what matt stoller is trying to say about china and the prc and wall street right now 
Now we have something that's really specifically designed to hit the left, hit the left in the gut. Now, the concept of Muslims being persecuted anywhere in the world hits me in the gut. It does affect me. Um, I have very strong emotions and feelings about this ever since 9-11, that Islamophobia, anti-Muslim sentiment, being fearful of Muslims, even people who are fundamentalist Muslims, I think is really a disgusting thing, and it's sort of a built-in racism that's totally been normalized after 9-11. And it also serves a geopolitical purpose. Just like how Trump calling this COVID-19 pandemic a Chinese virus, it's not because Trump is just a blatant racist or a xenophobe, it's because calling it a Chinese virus serves a very important and dangerous geopolitical purpose. It's a geopolitical leveraging tool. So I'm just skipping ahead a little bit by saying this now, but basically the reason I'm laying this all out now is because there are going to be very nefarious people in this country, a lot of the same people who were acted very nefariously before and after 9-11, who are going to try to pin the blame of this on China for some kind of geopolitical adversarial cold war against China moving forward. And that's very, very dangerous, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And that's best case scenario. When I say that's best case scenario, I mean that military quote-unquote skirmishes, as Michael Tracy calls them, which is funny to hear him talking about skirmishes when he was seemingly really afraid of World War III and Russia and U.S. You know, having some kind of nuclear exchange. But I guess now that it's Cold War 3.0, he's not as worried about it. They're just skirmishes. So the Uyghur thing, I just totally went off on a tangent, but the Uyghur thing is particularly interesting to me because I don't know what's actually true with the Uyghur situation. I actually don't know. I think that most of the Western media coverage about it is obviously exaggerated. It's spun. It's opaque. We don't really know exactly what's happening. There have been some media reports where they've actually interviewed Uyghurs who are in some of these re-education camps and they said they were deplorable conditions. I mean, I'm not denying that that's the case. However, it cannot be denied at all that the U.S. media and the Western media is cynically using the plight of the Uyghurs in China as a means to bash China and make them seem like they're totally Islamophobic, they enslave their own people, this is illegal against international law, it needs to be stopped. It's designed to hit, I think, progressives and leftists who have a bad taste in their mouth still from the George W. Bush era and Gitmo and torture and the murder of you know one million Arabs in the Middle East from the Iraq war. So I can see how that stuff has gone very viral among the left. I've even seen Antifa people I've seen self-identified Marxists spreading that around. And that's very troubling to me because even if some of the things they're saying in these articles are true about the Uyghur re-education camps or whatever they're calling them, it's still being very cynically used in the exact same way that the gay law in Russia was being cynically used here by the Western media. So this is why this all very much reminds me of the propaganda buildup against Russia. There's a lot of parallels here. The United States still has an illegal gulag where they hold Muslim people indefinitely without a trial, you know, calling them all 9-11 suspects or terrorists. But yet, 
talking about the Uyghur situation in China, you know, the more we talk about that, the less people are going to care about Gitmo anymore. It'll just become like old news under the brushing under the rug, whatever. Now, we're just really quickly commenting on the the Uyghur debunking stuff. I've seen people try to debunk it by basically saying the Uyghurs are terrorists and we're going to do some kind of green revolution in China. I think that's a particularly bad argument to try to use to debunk what's coming out of the Western media. Because I just think anytime you try to have to veer into the idea of calling Muslims terrorists or alluding to their extreme nature and that's why they need to be locked up, that's a bad framing to use, obviously. Now, I like I said, I don't really know what's going on there. But I do know for sure that the way that the Western media is covering it is totally cynical. They don't care. It seems very sketchy and sus why all this media coverage all of a sudden is coming out about the Uyghurs. And uh, I think it's likely being somehow coordinated by U.S. intelligence agencies to put out this kind of information. Now, towards the end of 2019, China actually started to have to import a lot of our pork because they had their own version of the swine flu that basically made a lot of their pork supply unusable. This was before COVID-19 outbreak. This started to cause blame in the Western media against China for being a filthy society that breeds disease. Eventually, of course, when COVID-19 broke out, late 2019, we started accusing China of basically being responsible again for this outbreak because they were breeding disease in their quote-unquote wet markets where they let all these different species coalesce together. So basically by the end of 2019, the narrative was already that in the Western media that China society's quote-unquote filthiness is responsible for the COVID-19 outbreak, which is a zoonotic disease which jumped from a bat or some kind of animal to human. Just like we expected the experts to say the Chinese are always doing these crazy things with these wet markets, and we knew it was a matter of if, not when, that a, a major pandemic would explode from one of these wet markets. Like that was a given, right? Now, of course, that the COVID-19 pandemic has gone global, and that there are now over 500,000 infections worldwide, 37,000 deaths worldwide, and the U.S. now has the highest amount of infections in the world of any country, including China. So now that that's happened, you can imagine that people's emotions are really high right now. And when people's fear levels and their emotions are high, that's when some of the most dangerous propaganda starts coming in to the picture. Just like after 9-11, we saw an explosion of insinuations, innuendo, and propaganda out around different countries around the Middle East, specifically Saddam Hussein following 9-11, like immediately after. Because they understood that people were paralyzed with fear, especially after the anthrax attacks, which was the knockout punch after 9-11. And I'm going to go into some parallels between some of the people who were involved in gaming out anthrax-like scenarios and what's happening right now. That's going to happen a little later in this podcast. But because people's emotions and fears are so high right now, like I said on the previous podcast, this experience right now feels like a slow motion 9-11 on steroids, this COVID-19 global pandemic. That's what it's doing emotionally to people right now. I mean, I can feel it myself. But during this time when emotions are running that high, similar to how they felt after 9-11, 
people in the Western media, and I'm going to go into this later, specifically who it was and what groups are behind it, started talking about the idea that China has a secret bioweapons lab in, in Wuhan, even though this is a rumor and it's not proven. All we know about this lab is that it was a biosafety level four lab that's one of the few in the world that has permission to study dangerous diseases like Ebola and SARS. That's all we know about it. Anyone saying that it's a secret bioweapons lab is basically saying, putting out the same kind of rumor mongering that Colin Powell did when he said that Iraq has secret biological mobile weapons labs in, in train cars, okay? This is all innuendo. We don't know this for sure. Now, there's some people out there who will be like, well, what about that Canadian lab and the person who defected from it and blah, 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 and what about this and that? I mean, sure, I could see how you could build sort of a, a, a web of information to make it seem like it is a bioweapons lab. However, I would argue that most of that has been planted by neoconservatives, by spooks, by suspicious DC foreign policy wonks who have basically been gaslighting you the whole time into making you think, well, of course it's a bioweapons lab, even though there's no evidence, no proof for that. Now, the next iteration of propaganda that we started to get in the media is that China covered up the COVID-19 outbreak, sat on vital information that could have saved lives. But this narrative that China covered up COVID-19 outbreak and sat on vital information that could have saved lives is exactly the same accusation you can make about the United States government and the CDC here. We already know, as I discussed with Emma Fiala in the last podcast, that the CDC actually wanted to cover up the initial Seattle flu swab study tests. That once this flu swab study that was being done around Seattle caught wind of the fact that COVID-19 had already spread to all these other countries, they decided to start uh, using these flu swabs to also test for COVID-19. They were the ones who originally found out that had already broken out in Seattle. Now, the CDC actually told them not to release the information because they didn't get permission to. This flu swab study group defied the CDC and actually decided to blow the whistle themselves. The CDC was absolutely furious. CDC was covering this up. So to say that you know China is covering stuff up and they could have saved lives and if they didn't cover things up, that's exactly what the U.S. has done. Any rhetoric that amounts to that about China, to me, is just being used right now to deflect away from how horrible the U.S. government has dealt with this situation. And that's putting it mildly. We already started to see by the end of 2019, but mostly in January, all this criticism of China for being totalitarian for quarantining Wuhan and surrounding cities and making people shelter in place. Well, guess what? That's pretty much exactly what we're doing now. So maybe Trump thinks if he can give the appearance that things aren't as draconian as what they did in China to set up these quarantines, that maybe it'll seem like the U.S. You know, is not that authoritarian. I mean, this is where things get really messy, though, because now there's even leftists and progressives who are saying that Trump needs to like basically do a full nationwide quarantine 
which basically violates people's civil liberties. It takes away your rights um, to stop this. I, I'm very, very conflicted on this concept because I do think this is a very serious problem and that people probably should be abiding by social distancing and sheltering in place. But I don't want military soldiers enforcing it. I don't want the police arresting you. Apparently, you can be arrested and sent to jail for over a year if you violate these shelter-in-place orders right now. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I don't want to talk too much about that. But let's just say, again, it is a hypocritical thing to accuse China of doing. And that's not what aboutism. It's just saying that, well, why are we talking so much about China and trying to shift the blame to them when we really should be focusing on us here right now? Now, there was also the news that came out that China silenced a COVID-19 whistleblower who warned the world and the whistleblower apparently ended up dying of COVID-19, like some people were saying, just like China intended. You know, they assassinated him with, this was a political hit. They wanted him to die of COVID-19 to punish him for blowing the whistle on it. That narrative that's coming out of the Western media about that whistleblower is very oversimplified. It's much more nuanced and complicated. It's too long to go into here on this podcast, but I advise you to actually look into that story, try to find alternate sources about that. Now, the propaganda continued in early 2020 from the U.S. and Western media. So we were told about a month and a half ago that China expelled you know, these freedom truth-telling journalists from the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and the New York Times. Now, what's interesting is what got lost in the mix of this is China said that the reason why they expelled these journalists and they're not going to allow them back in to cover COVID-19 right now is because they believe that the U.S. government puts very strong restrictions on Chinese state media and Chinese journalists who the U.S. government has long accused of just being surrogates for Chinese state media, okay? Chinese government's rationale was that they basically see the Wall Street Journal, WAPO, and New York Times as U.S. state media. Even though the Chinese government official didn't directly spell it out, that's the equivalency he's drawing, and it's very obvious that that's what Chinese government officials believe, because the Wall Street Journal... The Washington Post and the New York Times are surrogates for propaganda, for U.S. government propaganda, and they have been for a long time. So last month, this is Democracy Now! is actually, even though I don't love Democracy Now! anymore, I used to be a much bigger fan of what they did, they're one of the only media outlets who's covering this honestly. And they frame it as that the Chinese government is retaliating specifically against the Trump administration, which Democracy Now! says... Last month, the Trump administration limited the number of Chinese citizens allowed to work in U.S.-based Chinese outlets to 100 and announced that five state-run Chinese news organizations would be regulated as, quote, Chinese government functionaries. So they're basically making them do the same thing that Russia Today and different employees had to do, except they're restricting them even more, actually. As far as I know, there is no limit to how many U.S.-based Russian outlets, you know, how many employees they can have. So this is very specific. It's limiting them to 100. That's not what we're hearing from the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and New York Times. Their spin on it is that China is anti-freedom of the press, and they're trying to censor stuff, 
look at this totalitarian government. Even though this clearly spells out this was done in retaliation for what the Trump administration imposed on China. In late January 2020, we started to get a very insidious and dangerous narrative that's still floating around in the media sphere. And that is that China could have created COVID-19 in a lab as a bioweapon and accidentally or intentionally released it on the world. It wasn't just right-wing media outlets and neocons who were pushing this, and I'll explain later exactly where this rumor started or who was pushing this originally. But it was also websites like Zero Hedge, Infowars, Conspiracy Media, who were pushing this as well, which is really troublesome. Then, about a month after that, Chinese government officials started posting around an an article released by Global Research, a U.S.-based website, that said that the U.S. military or U.S. government might have been behind COVID-19 and that it could have been a U.S. bioweapon. So, of course, the U.S. media pounces on this. The Trump administration pounces on this. Fox News pounces on this. This is from a New York Times article being really accusatory of China, saying that China spins tail that the U.S. Army started the coronavirus epidemic after criticizing American officials for politicizing the pandemic. Chinese officials and news outlets have floated unfounded theories that the United States was the source of the virus. Well, what New York Times and all these other articles getting mad at China for saying that are not saying U.S. Senator Tom Cotton and U.S. state-funded media outlet Radio Free Asia were actually insinuating that this was a Chinese bioweapon as early as January 2020. So chronologically, the U.S. government blamed China first, officially on record. And none of these U.S. media outlets are going to talk about this when they're complaining that China is now pointing the finger at us. That's just totally omitted. Now the most recent narrative as recording this, this it's now March 30th, is that China is actually completely lying about all the numbers and they have the whole time, and that's already been something that the neocons and a lot of these media outlets have been saying, but now it's even darker. It's that China is cremating possibly hundreds of thousands of dead bodies that have died from COVID-19, covering up the real death amounts. There's even conspiracy websites showing heat maps of Earth, you know, claiming that there are mass cremations happening in China, mass secret cremations. Guess where the main story origin for this claim comes from? That China is cremating a bunch of people secretly and they're hiding the death counts for COVID-19. It comes from Radio Free Asia. Now, with this overview I've just given you of the chronology of the anti-China propaganda that's come out and how it's really ramped up after the COVID-19 global pandemic... I believe that this will culminate into eventually, and it already is shaping up to be this way. You can already see some people talking this way, and I'm actually going to play a lot of clips in this episode and read a lot of quotes that this is where I believe this is all heading. Just like after 9-11, the narrative was in general vague sense that Muslims attacked us on 9-11, and now we need to eradicate the world of radical Islamic terror. This is actually far bigger and could be used in a far more powerful way for the propagandists who want to pivot against China. Here's how it could be framed. That China destroyed the world and now China needs to be stopped. 
we need to do something about China so that this never happens again. That's the framework that this is heading towards, I believe. And I'll already, I'm going to play clips for, for you of people already sort of needling in that direction, saying that now we need to send WMD-style weapons inspectors to shut down these wet markets, but then also to investigate this biosafety level 4 lab. Now, if you have any doubt that there will be people trying to use this event like a 9-11 on steroids, I'll read you a tweet that Bill Crystal just posted five minutes ago. Quote, this pandemic will be more consequential than 9-11. It probably already is. People just don't realize it because they still think, still feel that once this is all over, we'll go back to the way things used to be. We won't. The article title from Bill Crystal's new outlet, The Bulwark, is called COVID-19 has killed more Americans than 9-11. And the graphic for the article shows the COVID-19 graph of the infection rates superimposed over the World Trade Centers being blown up. Now, people like Bill Crystal and the PNAC neocons, for the most part, the never-Trumper neocons, have been bashing Trump during this whole process, even, including even David Frum. He made a weird tweet sort of implying... You know, we should call this the Trump plague instead of the Chinese virus. So the never-Trumper neocons are still pretending like they're not that excited about Trump's moves against China or Iran. And I find that very fascinating. Because we know that Bill Kristol and Robert Kagan and a lot of these people behind the Foreign Policy Initiative, which was basically the Obama-friendly version of PNAC, that they've wanted to go after China and Iran forever, very aggressively. So for them to not express any excitement, you know, after Trump assassinates Soleimani and things like that, it's fascinating. It's a sort of a deafening silence. But I feel like on some level they might be playing a double game. But let me introduce you to a, a mysterious figure who's uh, someone you've probably never heard of. His name is Bill Gertz. Bill Gertz uh, is a former writer for the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal's uh, old neoconservative magazine. And also Washington Free Beacon, run by another family relative of Bill Crystal, Michael Goldfarb, another neoconservative outlet that's only online. Bill Gertz is the main source for the China COVID-19 bioweapon theory. From what I've been able to tell, after researching this for the past several weeks, is that Bill Gertz, according to multiple media sources, from one of them is from USA Today, Another was actually in the New York Times, which I normally think is a terrible outlet, but this article was surprisingly good, that Bill Gertz, this quote-unquote China expert, who's been specifically fixated on China for the past several decades, uh, he's actually written eight books on the subject. Bill's first book and most famous book, you might have actually heard of indirectly. It's called Betrayal. How the Clinton Administration Undermined American Security from 1999. And it's pretty much all about how China was undermining the Clinton Administration. It was actually a very, very influential book that really influenced the right-wing movement at the time and their rhetoric against Bill Clinton. He wrote a book in 2000 called The China Threat, How the People's Republic Targets America. In 2004, he wrote a book called Treachery, How America's Friends and Foes Are Secretly Arming Our Enemies, which includes a lot of stuff in it about China. 2006 came a book he wrote called Enemies, 
How America's Foes Steal Our Vital Secrets, which is a book primarily about China. In 2017, he wrote a book called I War, War and Peace in the Information Age, which leans heavily on the concept of cyber warfare with China. He's had a history with cavorting with the same people who planted rumors that Saddam Hussein was behind the 2001 anthrax attacks. After the COVID-19 pandemic, Bill Gertz had a piece of his ran in the Washington Times on January 22, 2020, suggesting the virus was actually man-made by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party's alleged secret bioweapons lab in Wuhan, a level four bio-research lab, one of the few in the world, the neocons and intelligence officials and U.S. foreign policy hawks have long suspected is a bioweapons lab, even though this has never been proven, like I was saying earlier. One of Bill's trusted sources for running with this theory is an Israeli military intelligence officer named Danny Shoham. And he's the source, apparently, of this level four lab being a secret Beijing bioweapons program, it says from this Washington Times article. Mr. Shoham told the Washington Times, certain laboratories in the Institute have probably been engaged in terms of research and development in Chinese biological weapons, at least collaterally, yet not as a principal facility of the Chinese BW alignment. So I guess the Washington Times ran with this article because they thought that this source, an Israeli military intelligence officer, was legit. Now, U.S. Senator Tom Cotton, who was formerly basically a surrogate for the Bill Crystal neocon camp in D.C., Bill Crystal's son, Joe Crystal, still works for Tom Cotton as a staffer, later picked up Bill Gertz's theory and ran with it on the Senate floor. Tom Cotton also did multiple Fox News and other media appearances, like on CNNBC and other networks, discussing why he believed that COVID-19 was a bioweapon. So I have to wonder, why did Tom Cotton so eagerly run with a speculative conspiracy theory about COVID-19 being a Chinese government bioweapon? Was he merely inspired by this Bill Gertz article from the Washington Times? Or has Tom Cotton actually found himself now doing the dirty work of Trump officials after this newfound love between himself and the Trump administration over escalating the war footing on Iran? One needs to go back to a Mark Levin sit-down interview with Tom Cotton, where Tom Cotton explains how Make America Great Again is actually completely compatible with hardcore neoconservatism on Iran, and how he thinks that what Trump is doing for Israel and against Iran is some of the most amazing foreign policy stuff he's ever seen that aligns with his views. Now, keep in mind, Tom Cotton and others were spreading the rumors that China created this bioweapon at least three weeks before any Chinese or Iranian government officials accused the U.S. of being behind COVID-19. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon is also a huge proponent of this theory. He's been giving Bill Gertz a regular guest slot on his new podcast, presciently titled Pandemic War Room. In fact, on the very first episode of Bannon's show in January 2020, Bannon had Bill Gertz on the on Bannon had on Gertz to plant the seeds from the innuendo that COVID-19 was a Chinese bioweapon as early as January 2020. 
on the very first episode of this show, it actually was previously titled something else. So Steve Bannon, he was already doing a podcast for a while, for the past couple of years. He changed the title of his show with graphics, new logo, new title to Pandemic War Room when he had Bill Gertz on to talk about COVID-19 being a Chinese bioweapon. Let that sink in. Steve Bannon knows exactly what he's doing. Steve Bannon is extremely plugged into conspiracy media. He knows how these things can become innuendo and float. In fact, it seems like Steve Bannon has actually learned from the PNAC neocons who put out scaremongering and rumor-mongering that Saddam Hussein was behind the 2001 anthrax attacks. And Steve Bannon might be trying to use this, learning from these neocons, to push his own agenda. So while Steve Bannon doesn't fit the mold of a neoconservative like Bill Kristol or Robert Kagan, he's been extremely fixated on China as being our main adversary, geopolitical adversary in the world. Steve Bannon has poured a great deal of media energy into talking about the quote-unquote authoritarian nature of the Chinese Communist Party for the past several years. On a recent episode of his podcast, Bannon says that he actually spends 30% of his own time connecting with Chinese anti-CCP activists and exiles. Bannon even has a new fictionalized account of a Chinese government execution of a Canadian citizen coming out as a feature-length movie in late 2020. Here's a clip from the trailer. And I actually had to fix the audio on this clip because, you know, I'm an audio engineer and I was completely appalled that Steve Bannon's official movie trailer for Claws of the Red Dragon has an audio level of negative 20 decibels and and there's only audio coming out of the right channel. I mean, what kind of unprofessional bullshit is that? Dude, you're a, if you're a filmmaker and you're, that's your trailer, the fuck is wrong with you? Put out a new trailer. Like, fix that shit. What the fuck? So, here's a clip from uh, Steve Bannon's new film, Claws of the Red Dragon. Whatever the Americans are claiming is a lie. I think the entire U.S. government is fed up with China going afoul of international law. It's faster, easier, and ultimately cheaper to achieve power through cyber technology than it is to build traditional military weapons. In short, watching is their Trojan horse. I think you should take the lead on this story. This is a democracy. Reporters write the truth, editors allow that truth to be published. The legal system operates without interference, full stop. Jane, these are serious people, and they know everything about you and your family. Hello? Sama? And what you'll find from this trailer is it feels a little bit Magnitsky actish. Feels a little bit like something John McCain would get really into talking about, doesn't it? Bannon has learned from the neocons. I'm not saying that Bannon is a neocon. He's not a neocon ideologically. He doesn't share their worldview in the same way. But for some reason, he has learned very well from them. This isn't just a passing interest for Bannon. 
regime change in China and confronting them economically has been one of his primary goals for the past three years, if you look into what his activities have been. And even though Bannon puts a much more overt MAGA nationalistic bent on his, on his desire for regime change in China, when he speaks of the Chinese government and their role in the world, he sounds eerily similar to traditional neocons and beltway think tankers like Robert Kagan and Strobe Talbot speaking about Russia and Putin. Here's a clip from Bannon interviewed on the Kyle Bass show from August 27, 2019. You know, you're here very specifically to talk with me about something that you and I study uh, very, very uh, intently, and it's China. Yep. And I'd love to just start right off the bat with asking you, what do you think China's true intentions are uh, in, in kind of their, in their grand strategy? What is their it's, grand it, strategy? It, the grand strategy is very simple. It's to be a hegemonic uh, world power. I mean, you can see through One Belt, One Road. You can see through uh, Made in China 2025. You can see through everything they're doing, their strategy of being like the East India Company in Sub-Saharan Africa, what they're doing in the Caribbean, now what they're doing in Latin America, the economic war, the all what we call all forces of government, right? All, all areas of government focus on the economic war against the United States, their military buildup, uh, they're basically trying to close the South China Sea. It is the most geopolitically ambitious strategy we've ever seen, let me be very specific. The three great theories of geopolitics. Um, you've got Mackinder's theory of the Asian landmass. You have Mahan's theory of cutting off the choke points of the world's oceans. And you have Speakman's theory of keeping your enemy off of the Asian landmass. The Chinese are the only power in world history to ever try to do all three simultaneously. You know, Napoleon and, and Hitler and others tried to do the Eurasian landmass. Um, others, the, the British and the American empires, the British Empire and the American, uh, you know, system we have today is built off Mahan's naval strategy, mm -hmm. and then Speakman's is one from the uh, from the early 20th century. What China is doing is with one belt, one road, trying to basically connect the old Silk Road all the way up to right. Italy. As we saw in the paper today, the Italian government, the the guys in the Five Star, De Maio came back from Beijing. They had a huge thing about, hey, we want to end. We want to end the One Belt, One Road in Italy, where Marco Polo, Polo essentially left, of, of taking all the naval bases and choke points throughout the, the world. And then Speakman, what they're trying to do is force the United States, which has been a Pacific power, off of the landmass through what they're doing in the South China Sea, what they're doing around Taiwan. So they want to push us back to Guam. Uh, so listen, they're the most, people have said for years to, to kind of cover this, a lot of the Wall Street and City of London uh, and Frankfurt crowd have kind of said, oh, well, you know, they're not territorially ambitious. They've never been an expansionist power. Mm. Well, they're a geopolitically uh, expansionist power, and it's quite extraordinary what they're doing and doing at the same time. What Trump, the reason Trump was, I think, so special, he said, hey, this is not the way the world has to be. It could be very different. We've basically financed the rise of China. We've built China. And all he heard for years, and what you heard for years is, no, this is the, what I call the second law of thermodynamics. Or this is an immutable law of physics, the rise of China. And what Trump says, no, this is through human agency. It's the commercial banks, the investment banks, the corporations, the kowtowed to the Chinese regime. And one thing I want to make sure, Kyle, I get up front, this is not about the Chinese people. I have been, I served as a naval officer over in China, in the Western Pacific, in the Seventh Fleet, on a destroyer, uh, in the late, mid-70s. I think 76, 77 is the first okay. time I went to China. 
I've been involved in China virtually all my life. I've owned businesses over there. I've lived in Shanghai for a while in the French concession. I have a great, not just admiration, but a deep love for the Chinese people. In fact, they have a saying over there called Old Hundred Names, which is basically the common man, because there's a hundred last surnames in China. So Old Hundred Names is essentially the deplorables, right? And those in the Old Hundred Names is a sense of common decency, their grit, their determination, what they've been through as a people is nothing short of heroic. What we have, the problem we have, is we have a totalitarian regime of the Chinese Communist Party, and quite frankly, the leadership, the, uh, the elite leadership of the Chinese Communist Party that are really in business with the party of Davos, which is this. So perhaps people have been overlooking Bannon's role in foreign policy since he left the Trump administration, maybe because John Bolton, you know, became national security consultant and had Trump's ear and Bannon was out of the administration. But Bannon's neoconservative-like prescience about China cannot be understated. I mean, the fact that he had already branded and launched a whole new podcast and website with graphics and a logo called War Room Pandemic in late January before most Americans had even heard of coronavirus, and an entire year before that, Bannon was put in a leadership role in the new, but also very old, anti-China think tank, the Committee on the Present Danger China. I mean, in a lot of ways, Bannon seems to be at the tip of the spear of the anti-China push, the anti-China pivot. Cold War 3.0, if you will. You know, and originally I thought Bannon was just blowing a lot of smoke about this stuff. I read about a lot of this stuff when he was just part of Trump's campaign team. Apparently, this he was a big influence of why Trump actually started this trade war with China in the first place. So I already knew all that stuff, but I thought that Bannon was more just using China as some kind of avatar to push nationalism or populism, you know, in this sort of vague way. I honestly did not realize how fixated and dedicated he was to this subject and this agenda until I started researching this podcast like three weeks ago. I knew he had made comments about being at war in the South China Sea within 10 years but I didn't really think that he was thinking about it in the way that I know that he is now. What I mean by that is he is thinking about China in very much the same way a very savvy neoconservative would spin propaganda about Russia. Bannon has sort of plugged into this Robert Kagan galaxy brain strategic level of thinking about China. I'm not joking from a February 17th New York Times article about the origin of the China bioweapon theory. Quote, Last month, Mr. Bannon invited Bill Gertz, a Washington Times reporter, to be a guest on the inaugural episode of his radio show, War Room Pandemic, a spinoff of his War Room impeachment, which defended Mr. Trump during the Senate impeachment trial. Bill Gertz had an amazing piece in the Washington Times, about the biological labs that happened to be in Wuhan, Mr. Bannon said, on his January 25th show. Mr. Gertz appeared on another show several days later to continue putting forward the bioweapons theory. And if you go to Steve Bannon's pandemic, or if you go to Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic YouTube page and website, it has its own website as well, you can find that Bill Gertz has appeared dozens of times on his podcast 
On February 21st, on War Room Pandemic, Bill Gertz appearing on Bannon's show was praised by Bannon, by Bannon saying, you wrote the first two articles on this, now Cotton's in on this, referring to U.S. Senator Tom Cotton. And Bannon goes on a rant about how he's not a conspiracy guy, but he thinks that everybody should be talking about this right now. You wrote a couple of articles. You've been now the centerpiece of a firestorm, Bill Gertz, because you started. Tom Cotton's involved, Miles Grove, they're even throwing me in there. Hey, I'll take it. But it is in the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Daily, right, picked up on what Lancet Magazine said when they had these guys throughout the world saying, hey, this is getting us off because it's highly, most probable that it came as a natural mutation. This is about the question. Is this a natural mutation that came from a wet market of a, of a bat to a human and then a human to a human? in some sort of metastasized way or is this somehow is this somehow related to their the 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 p4 the level four lab they happen to have by coincidences and there are no coincidences happens to be in wuhan four miles from the from the from the market itself you wrote the first two articles cotton's on this and now it's big enough that the lancet magazine guys are now saying it didn't happen and the chinese people's daily are saying you know this is bill gertz foreign devil trying to stir up problems well uh, first off, uh, I, I like to say that no one knows the origin of this virus. The White House last week, Office of Science and Technology Policy, ordered the National Academy of Sciences to conduct an investigation to try and find out how it, what the origin is. Um, that said, we do know a number of facts. And uh, on January 27th, I wrote an article that said this virus may have come as part of a bioweapons program. And I quoted a... Uh, former Israeli military intelligence specialist, Danny Shahom, who basically has studied the Chinese Biological Warfare Center uh, program, and he identified this uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology as conducting research. In China, it's not Hold like... Hold it, conducting research to find vaccines, conducting research on... Look, the P4 labs are supposed to conduct research. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. What type of research are they doing? Are they doing this? We don't this? know. We what, don't know because what are they, okay, ultimate, P, P, P4, utmost secrecy. P4 labs are supposed to conduct what type of research? Well, uh, on coronaviruses, as in the case that they're doing, um, it's even been said that this lab in uh, uh, Wuhan was conducting anthrax, which is not a virus. Uh, this is a biological weapon. We know from the Soviet days they had the anthrax release. Um, so basically, uh, we need to get inside that lab. The Chinese have been totally secret about it. They have not. I think the U.S. should invoke the Biological Warfare Convention, which China signed, and use that as a means to get inspections and get information from this lab. That's the only way we're going to find out about the origin. So look at one theory. Let's say that the Chinese Biological weapons lab, which is again secret. This is a covert, undeclared program. It's linked to the Wuhan Institute of Virology as well as another institute in Wuhan. And, and by the way, Wuhan is the PLA's big medical center. It's like San Antonio for the U.S. Army. And so this is, a, this is the place where the PLA operates. Uh, and again, in China, the military and civilian are totally intertwined. In fact, Xi Jinping has pushed military-civilian fusion. So this idea that this is simply a civilian research lab is totally wrong. It's dangerously naive. Exactly. Um, so let's say uh, 
if you wanted to develop a coronavirus as a weapon, say if you wanted to pacify a protesting area like Hong Kong, you would first need to develop a vaccine or an antidote to that. So let's just say they were studying this coronavirus looking for a vaccine and it escaped. Another article ran in USA Today called Fact Check, Did the Coronavirus Originate in a Chinese Laboratory? by Molly Stegliano from March 21st. It also implicates Bill Gertz as being the origin of this theory. Bill Gertz has a new book out called Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. He was also a contributor in a book from 2016 where he wrote a chapter by the think tank Center for Security Policy run by Frank Gaffney. The book was titled Warning Order, China Prepares for Conflict and Why We Must Do the Same. The synopsis of the book is, quote, Ever since Richard Nixon opened relations with communist China, Chinese intentions have been a matter of incessant and often fevered speculation in this country. In particular, national security and regional experts, non-governmental organizations and officeholders alike, have endlessly debated whether the People's Republic of China could be brought into a U.S.-dominated international order and world economy in a manner consistent with American interests. The Center for Security Policy commissioned warning order, China prepares for conflict, and why we must do the same, to address these urgent questions. This book explains how, under successive regimes, and most especially that of the incumbent Chinese ruler, Xi Jinping, the Chinese have relentlessly strived to put themselves in a position to challenge, and ultimately to displace, the post-World War II Pax Americana with a new order that would return China to what they considered to be its rightful place as the Middle Kingdom, the preeminent global power strategically and economically. Our hope is that this book will move our nation past a now irrelevant debate about Chinese intentions and onto a footing rooted in a focus on capabilities, one that enables us to deter the PRC's future use of existing and anticipated threats to our security and vital interests. So here's some more interesting things about this China-obsessed neocon Bill Gertz, who was a part of the Center for Security Policy think tank, started by PNAC neocon Frank Gaffney. And in case you forgot who Frank Gaffney was, he was the inspiration for manipulating several poll results that led to Trump's Muslim ban proposal during the campaign. That's where Trump got that idea from, was Frank Gaffney's Center for Security Policy anti-Muslim think tank, essentially. Now, on Wikipedia, it says that Bill Gertz, William D. Gertz, his full name, during the administration of Bill Clinton, it says, Gertz was known for his stories exposing government secrets. In 2008, Gertz was subpoenaed to the Santa Ana, California Federal Court to testify in the case of Chi Mack, who was convicted of providing United States naval technology to China. Gertz refused to answer questions about his sources, citing the Fifth Amendment. The Wikipedia page, um, skipping forward a little bit, says during 1996, Gertz reported in the Washington Times on Chinese sales of nuclear technology to Pakistan. In 1997, he reported on Russian aid to Iran's nuclear weapons program based on information given to him by the Israeli intelligence agency, the Mossad. Noticing a little pattern here? 
1998, he reported on United States sale of missile technology to China. In 2004, Gertz wrote that Syria, possibly with the aid of Russian troops, transferred Iraqi weapons of mass destruction stockpiles to its own military installations. Wow. So in 2004, there were seeds being planted already that uh, Syria had a, I guess, chemical or biological weapons stockpile. Interesting. But this guy, Bill Gertz, is more prolific than you think. You know, someone you might have never heard of before would be in the world of anti-China hysteria. Now, his story went to a bunch of other right-wing media outlets about this being a Chinese bioweapon, potentially. It went to PJ Media, which is Laura Ingram's news outlet. It went to Tucker Carlson's show. It went to Gateway Pundit. It went to Zero Hedge. But one of the media outlets that seems to like Bill Gertz the most is called the Epoch Times. Now, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent about the Epoch Times that I think you guys should know about right now before we continue. The Epoch Times is a strange website that's, I guess, existed for over 15 years or so that actually was a newspaper ran by the Fallen Gong. Now, right now what you'll find, and this is not an exaggeration, is that if you log out of YouTube and don't have any of your algorithms going, none of your algorithmic footprint, and you just are not signed into YouTube and you watch, try to watch something that has advertisements before it, during the last two months, and this is actually reported in the New York Times, this is not made up. Well, the New York Times makes up a lot of shit, like weapons of mass destruction. But this has been verified by multiple third parties that the Epoch Times, this mysteriously funded Falun Gong-based website that's extremely viral right now, you'll see it all over the place, literally dominates 70% of the YouTube advertisements that you'll see when you're watching videos. So when you watch a video right now and an advertisement comes up, there's about a 7 out of 10 chance that it will be an advertisement for this extremely sus, probably CIA-funded, website called the Epoch Times. Now, what's interesting about the Epoch Times is almost 80% of their coverage is either a mixture of pro-Trump, pro-quote-unquote new right, alt-right, fringe right-wing media stuff, pro-MAGA stuff, anti-China stuff. And all the things that I intro this podcast with when I took you through the chronology of recent anti-China propaganda and how that's ramped up. The Epoch Times has been all over that shit. Every single thing that I mentioned. Times 100. Now, it's nothing to sneeze at when 70% of the advertisements currently running on YouTube are for this extremely mysterious website called the Epoch Times that runs dozens and dozens of glowing pieces about Steve Bannon and runs exclusive interviews with him about how China needs to be stopped. The Epoch Times also loves Bill Gertz. And if you search for Bill Gertz on the Epoch Times right now, you get something like 700 results going all the way back till, let's see here, 2017. 700 results. So the Epoch Times seems to really like Bill Gertz, Steve Bannon, some of these weird fringe anti-China neocons. And when I say fringe, they're not really all that fringe right now because they seem to be directly feeding into all these Fox News programs, 
all these right-wing talk radio hosts programs and the Trump administration's foreign policy line and rhetoric itself. The New York Times did a great article actually on the Epoch Times and their mysterious funding from February 5th. The article headline is Epoch Times punished by Facebook gets a new megaphone on YouTube. Now it actually got banned from advertising on Facebook apparently for running disinformation. They thought that it was actually too closely associated with the Trump PACs or campaigns, if I remember correctly. That was what Facebook's determination was. Somehow, in some way, this website appears to be related to funding sources from intelligence or the State Department or U.S. state-funded media or the Trump administration directly. So in the same way that, you know, Obama was trying to juke Vice, the White House was trying to juke Vice and get Vice to be a megaphone for their propaganda. seems like the Epoch Times is kind of like that for the Trump administration, which is really bizarre. The Epoch Times has about 20 stories featuring just Bannon quotes, headlines of things that he said. The Epoch Times is actually regularly pushing China bioweapon theories. From February 3rd, the Epoch Times, a story by Joshua Phillips says, did the Chinese coronavirus start as a bioweapon? From February 7th, by Stephen W. Mosher, the story says, is the coronavirus a bioweapon? A look at the Chinese regime's biological warfare intentions and capabilities. March 23rd, Epoch Times runs an article saying, China's Communist Party should be forced to pay reparations for coronavirus cover-up. And they feature an interview with Representative Jim Banks. Another article on a similar tip from March 22nd says, here's why the CCP owns the pandemic. The Chinese Communist Party's lies led to the global pandemic and untold number of deaths by James Gorey from Epoch Times. Now, what you'll see is if you go to these Epoch Times reporters' pages, and a lot of them are American, and for a Falun Gong website, they seem to have an awful lot of money. They're paying a lot of people for this. Seems like a very well-funded little operation. If you go to these people's Twitter accounts and social media pages, they're all pushing like new right, fringe right-wing stuff. Like even Bill Gertz, if you go to his Twitter page right now, he's pushing like Ben Shapiro and shit. But if you go to these Epoch Times people's uh, social media accounts specifically, they're all pushing the talking point, not just China virus or Chinese virus or Wuhan virus. They're pushing CCP virus. CCP virus. Now, what's also interesting is the Epoch Times is also heavily pushing a new think tank that's only a year old called the Committee on the Present Danger China, even running an article to announce when the committee formed, sort of going over their whole mission. Now, this announcement was also made by other neoconservative outlets like the Washington Free Beacon and the Federalist and the Daily Caller and places like that. But the Epoch Times often will actually promote figures and articles from the Committee on the Present Danger China. Now, I'm going to go into a little later on what this think tank is and why I think it's so dangerous and significant. It's PNAC level dangerous, actually. It's, I think it's actually more dangerous in a, in a certain way right now. Epoch Times has interviews with Frank Gaffney. They have interviews with Steve Bannon promoting this think tank. And here's just a couple headlines about them promoting things from this think tank that I'll read off really quick. 
They have a headline that says, The Present Danger, the CCP's Unrestricted Warfare Against the U.S. This is another headline they ran from the Committee on the Present Danger China last year. It's a headline that says, Stephen Bannon says, Hong Kong is the single most important event in the world today. Now, Bill Gertz, the origin of this China bioweapons theory in most of the media reports that you're reading about it from, also writes for the Washington Free Beacon, which is ran by one of Bill Crystal's relatives, not through blood, but by family, by marriage, Michael Goldfarb. The Washington Free Beacon has also written dozens of stories blaming China and greasing the skids for war since the pandemic and before. If you search for China on the Washington Free Beacon, you can see them doing a lot of clever little stories. They have one from four days ago saying that of all papers, The Economist runs Chinese coronavirus propaganda disguised as news. Oh, really? The Economist, which always used to run neocon propaganda, is now running Chinese coronavirus propaganda disguised as news? This sounds a lot like the accusations that neoliberals and Democrats were making of people, you know, saying that people were, were laundering Russian state media propaganda when they would say that Trump wasn't a Manchurian candidate, that you must have been influenced by Russian state media talking points. Six days ago, Washington Free Beacon is going after Obama's China ambassador, saying that he was wrong for praising the Chinese response to the virus. Of course. Two weeks ago, the Washington Free Beacon whines about China kicking out Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times, even after I already explained to you the Trump administration put a restriction on only 100 China media employees in the United States operating at once, about a month before that was done. Washington Free Beacon is also trying to troll, reverse troll, concern trolling, where they're using examples of the China's own media outlets calling it Wuhan virus before condemning it as racist. And they're doing that because they're trying to obfuscate the fact that calling it a Chinese virus, you know, the, the racism argument about it is almost irrelevant. They're saying it to try to blame it on China, both to take away the blame from the United States from fucking this up so bad at the very least, and also to use it as a geopolitical leveraging tool. Washington Free Beacon's promoting Tom Cotton. They're also going after CNN and other reporters for saying that it's racist to use the term Chinese virus, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is interesting. The Washington Free Beacon also went after someone I know, actually a buddy of mine, Tim Chirac, um, claiming that he is echoing Chinese propaganda because he had a piece of his published in the Quincy Institute that targeted um, Washington Free Beacon says retired American admiral's Japanese ancestry. Okay. So Washington Free Beacon, just like a lot of the other right-wing outlets, um, National Review is also making the same accusation, is that the Chinese government is playing a dangerous game by accusing the U.S. Army of bringing the coronavirus to China. Well, guess what, motherfuckers? Tom Cotton and other U.S. politicians did it first. And actually, Radio Free Asia, a U.S. state-funded media outlet, also did it first. So let's go into Tom Cotton. Because Steve Bannon seemed really excited that Tom Cotton, who he describes here in this clip as a really re well-respected guy, that uh, you know is really proud, seemingly, of the fact that Bill Gertz's little story kind of got onto the Senate floor. Play clip. This situation, which most stunning to me, 
where people like Senator Tom Cotton, regarded as one of the most serious uh, men or women on Capitol Hill about national security, people like Bill Gertz that have a 25 or 30 year history of breaking significant stories coming out of China. When these type of people, leave Miles Guo and Steve Bannon and the fire breathers aside, when you take these day, these professionals day in and day out and they are attacked by the mainstream media, the mainstream media and specifically the New York Times, the Washington Post, the cable news operations, they take the side of the CCP. They take what the CCP says as absolute truth. Every day, all we hear all day long, uh, Jack, is, uh, oh, there's 75,000 dead, there's 70, or 76,000 people infected, there's 2,100 dead. Everybody knows that these numbers are orders of magnitude bigger than that. CDC has not been allowed, President Trump has offered now, I think, five times for the CDC, the top people in the world, to go over there. have been totally rejected by the, by the, uh, by the CCP. Steve Bannon's show, War Room Pandemic, has also had strange reoccurring appearances by Stephen Hatfield, exonerated anthrax suspect who won a $6 million settlement against the federal government for being called a person of interest by John Ashcroft during the anthrax investigation. It's really strange because Stephen Hatfield um, seems to be going on all these right-wing shows now, and including the Epoch Times a lot recently and and saying a lot of anti-china stuff and that's pretty fascinating now even though this china bioweapons theory is still being floated and obviously bannon really enjoys stoking the flames of it you know because he's learned well from the neocons who stoked the flames of some of the fake conspiracies they put out learned very well from them but the more the more recent narrative he's putting out on his show war room pandemic which is all the way up to episode 82, by the way. Um, he had a guest on named Sam Faddis, a ex-CIA agent, who said, China has blood on their hands. If they didn't hide it, they could have prevented 95% of the casualties worldwide. So this is another talking point that they're going with, is that not just that China covered this up and you know they, they cost people valuable amounts of time, but that they're actually responsible for 95% of the global casualties. So obviously they're going to try to blame this on China. Now it's just a matter of if these other neoliberal, never Trumper neocons start to pivot in the same direction as these fringe people right now are. But they seem to be having a pretty big influence, even though they're technically, I guess, fringe. We already played for you clips of Bill Gertz talking about this. But I just recommend you check him his work out. He's a very interesting figure that might have slipped through the cracks for most people. I had really never heard of him um, until looking through my book collection, trying to find stuff I had about neocons in China. I have, regrettably and embarrassingly, about 40 or 50 books written by neocons. And don't worry, I bought them on the used market. None of the money went directly to these motherfuckers. Um, and one of the books that I happen to have was this book, produced by Frank Gaffney's think tank that's all about China. So that's where I first heard of Bill Gertz. And uh, yeah, I had no idea how instrumental he was in all of this. So literally, just now, as I was recording this podcast, someone sent me a tweet from Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, posted at 9.30, March 30th. Ted Cruz says, this raises obvious and serious questions, which much of the media have zero interest in answering. 
Did the virus escape accidentally from a Chinese lab that we know was studying bat coronaviruses near Wuhan animal market? Why did the CCP cover up the outbreak? You know, this may just on the surface seem like another politician, several other right-wing congresspeople have been similarly not just blaming China for covering this up, but also alluding to it being some kind of escaped bioweapon. But it's actually more disturbing than that because what Ted Cruz is actually posting again is a second article from Bill Gertz, published two months after his first article in the Washington Times. This article was posted Monday, March 30th by Bill Gertz, titled, Chinese researchers isolated deadly bat coronaviruses near Wuhan animal market. So this article is really, really weak. I mean, even for compared to his last article, where he leaned on that Israeli intelligence guy, this has even less sources in it. And really, the only thing he's leaning on, this is the quote. Several Chinese state media outlets in recent months touted the virus research and lionized, in particular, a key researcher in Wuhan, Tian Junhua, as a leader in bat virus work. He goes on to say that the exact origin of the virus, however, remains a mystery. This is such gaslighting, typical neocon bullshit, too. It's so funny the way this is phrased. So Bill Gertz goes on to say, Reports of the extensive Chinese research on bat viruses likely will fuel more calls for Beijing to make public what it knows about such work. Okay, so do you see where this is going? WMD-style weapons inspections. We want to get people into those labs. You need to show us what's in those labs. And I like how he says, it will likely fuel more calls for Beijing to make public what it knows about such work. I mean, only if neocons like you keep writing articles like this designed to do that, which is clearly what this is designed to do. And then he just quotes a Republican congressman named Michael McCall, saying this is one of the worst cover-ups in human history. And then it goes on to say that a video posted in December and funded by the Chinese government shows Mr. Tian inside caves in Hubei province taking samples from captured bats and storing them in vials. Okay, so this is actually where the article gets really interesting. So it, it keeps going on about this guy, Mr. Tian, who was studying bat coronaviruses. And then it goes on to U.S. concerns. So this is when Bill Gertz has his line into the U.S. State Department. So it's very curious. I wonder who he's talking to. It says, a State Department official said the reports about Mr. Tian and his role in working with bat viruses are concerning. Quote, he lives and works at Wuhan CDC, a few hundred yards away from the Hunan wet market, the official said. Quote, he is among the small team in Wuhan that has contributed to China's obsession in recent years with virus hunting and research. So this is now our official confirmation that the U.S. State Department is behind leaking and exacerbating some of these rumors and scaremongering about China basically making a bioweapon and either accidentally or intentionally releasing it. That's a really big deal. Because before I read this article, we didn't have confirmation of that. All we knew is that someone was trying to get the Trump administration to keep calling it a Chinese virus. But the Tom Cotton talking points, the Bill Gertz talking points, hadn't directly been linked to the Trump administration yet. You know, unless you count maybe Steve Bannon, who's probably talking to Trump all the time. But this is a direct admission 
from Bill Gertz that he has a line into the State Department where someone from the State Department is pushing this information out into the public. That's a really big deal. Cannot be understated. Now, this is where things get even weirder and just more cartoonish. Bill Gertz quotes a guy named Stephen Mosher, who Bill Gertz describes as a China specialist with the Population Research Institute. Now, I recognize this guy's name, Stephen Mosher, because he's part of the same neocon anti-China think tank that's partly managed by Steve Bannon and Frank Gaffney called the Committee on the Present Danger China. Stephen Mosher is listed as people on the Committee of the Present Danger China. And Stephen Mosher's other think tank that he's the president of, the Population Research Institute, is a bizarre sort of Catholic fundamentalist based website that's all about stopping abortion in foreign countries. It's like using Catholic evangelism as a means for foreign policy stuff in other countries that we don't like that are like that do abortions. So again, this is about China. So if you read their mission statement, it says, we are a nonprofit research group dedicated to exposing human rights abuses committed in population control programs. And they kind of mean, I mean, they're alluding to China right there, clearly. So it's just funny that Bill Gertz, all these people know each other. It'd be like Bill Crystal quoting Robert Kagan in one of his articles as an expert without mentioning that they hang out all the time. Stephen Mosher a China specialist with the Population Research Institute, said China for years has been doing research detailed in scientific journals on horseshoe bat coronaviruses that could be harmful to humans. Mosher says, they write about collecting SARS-like coronaviruses from horseshoe bats and proving that, like the SARS virus itself, some of these other naturally occurring coronaviruses can infect human beings directly, Mr. Mosher said. They write about genetically engineering new and deadly viruses capable of infecting human lung tissue, just like the Wuhan flu does. Mr. Mosher called the Chinese government to disclose the research to help officials cope with the coronavirus pandemic. So again, this is leading to the same thing, weapons inspectors. And then Mosher says, China claims that the deadly virus did not escape from its biolab. Fine, prove it by releasing the research records of the Wuhan lab. Oh my God. Can you imagine someone trying to treat the United States like this? Like if China was talking to the United States like this? So all this time, all these media outlets are whining and complaining that people from the Chinese government are saying it's a U.S. bioweapon brought over here by the U.S. military. But then these fucking think tank wonk psychopaths are saying, China claims the deadly virus did not escape from its biolab. Fine, prove it by releasing the research records of your labs. It's like, what? I mean, come on, dude. It's such, such obvious propaganda. But what's even sadder to me is that the conspiracy media, and specifically I mean conspiracy media that's not even necessarily associated fully with right-wing stuff. Zero Hedge. Yes, Zero Hedge. Today, this morning ran a report that says Chinese biological experiments to infect humans with coronavirus exposed in 2015 by Italian state media. This is basically the same bullshit that Bill Gertz was talking about. If you read the uh, Zero Hedge article, it doesn't actually directly lean on the Bill Gertz piece, but it's basically paralleling the same stuff. 
It's not directly talking about the scientist Tian that Bill Gertz was, but it's talking about the overall program where they believe Zero Hedge is also relying on an article from Nature that talks about the BSL-4 laboratory in Wuhan and how they experiment with deadly viruses, and that's not a good idea. And Nature ran this article in February 2017. And then Zero Hedge is basically accusing nature of trying to cover that up by adding an editor's note to the article saying that there is no evidence this lab played a role in the outbreak of coronavirus. I mean, that's just responsible. So whatever nature did to allege that this was a secret bioweapons lab before, you know, maybe they realize now it was extremely irresponsible to do that. But Zero Hedge sees fit to just keep working in tandem, whether they realize it or not, with these neocon propagandists that are directly associated with the PNAC neocons. So I don't know why Zero Hedge is on this kick too, but it's very irresponsible, I think. And it's really stoking the flames during a very dangerous time period. Now, their argument might be, well, we're just covering the facts and it's too coincidental that this lab was in Wuhan and all this stuff. But a lot of Zero Hedge's coverage for the past couple of years on Iran and China specifically is surprisingly pro-Trump. And it's not as critical of the U.S. government's role in what's going on or looking into that too deeply. And it's confusing to me because I thought Zero Hedge used to be more of an anti-U.S. empire kind of a website, anti-U.S. ruling class website. But it does sort of play into that deep state versus Trump narrative too much. And I I know they don't talk about the CHICOMs like Alex Jones does, but they seem to have a bone to pick with China right now. And if you've seen any counter evidence to that point where, you know, Zero Hedge is is actually being fairer and even handed about that, then send it it my way. It's just not what I've seen. And it bothers me. So I'm just going to start talking about the really dangerous rhetoric that Senator Tom Cotton has been putting out about this being a quote unquote Chinese virus. But what's more dangerous is he's also spinning the propaganda, putting it out there that this was a Chinese biological weapon of some kind. Now, Tom Cotton used to kind of be a surrogate for the Bill Crystals and that side of the neocon equation in D.C. In fact, Joe Crystal, Bill Crystal's son, works as one of Tom Cotton's top staffers. Even though Bill Crystal hasn't been tweeting anything about China, really, or the Chinese virus, he's just been criticizing Trump still, Joe Crystal actually, his son... retweeted Tom Cotton from March 24th, saying, this is the stark truth. We have to arrest the spread of the China virus to get the economy back on its feet and get life back to something like normal. So there's Joe Crystal endorsing the China virus narrative. But his dad isn't right now. But anyways, back to Senator Tom Cotton. And why I think what he's doing is so dangerous. And why I think he's basically either taking orders from or allowing himself to be a mouthpiece for people inside the Trump administration and or these think tanks that I'm going to discuss more in depth in a little bit.
Here's a clip from January 28th, 2020. Senator Tom Cotton talks coronavirus with Tucker Carlson. Disease, this virus, is spreading at exactly the same moment when a Chinese spy ring has been uncovered, uh, as you know, at Harvard and in the Boston area. There's just a lot going on here. And it's very hard to see what would be the argument against taking these precautionary steps, particularly consider, considering Hong Kong, a, a Chinese satellite, has closed the border. Like, what is going on here? Sure. So, so, Tucker, the Chinese government has a history of dishonesty and incompetence, not yes. only in general, but specifically related to infectious diseases. Uh, look at what happened with SARS in 2003. China is not acting right now like a government that has control of this outbreak. As you mentioned, right. Hong Kong has slashed travel from the mainland. Now, if you notice from this clip, it actually doesn't sound too bad, right? He criticizes China, you know, for quarantining so many of its people. You know, sounds sounds pretty benign. Only a day later, somehow, you know, did Tom Cotton read the Bill Gertz article? Did the Trump administration see his appearance on Tucker and think that he needed to insert more insidious propaganda to go after China? What was it that only a day later caused Senator Tom Cotton to actually do a speech on the Senate floor accusing China of potentially being behind some kind of bioweapon release? I want to talk about the biggest and the most important story in the world, the Wuhan coronavirus. This coronavirus is a catastrophe on the scale of Chernobyl for China, but actually it's probably worse than Chernobyl, which was localized in its effect. The coronavirus I want to talk could result about in a global pandemic. While you were all sleeping overnight, the number of diagnosed cases in China increased by 30%. Now, let me be clear, that's not new cases, that is just newly admitted cases. It is probably several orders of magnitude higher than that. Also, while you're sleeping, China now has its entire border with Russia closed, 2,600 miles. You just have to see what's happened over the last two months. We now know that the first case manifested no later than, no later than December 1, even though China didn't reveal it to the WHO until a month later on December 31st, when they continued to hide it from their own citizens. And they continued to say that it had been contained inside Wuhan. Today, it is in every single province in China. They also claimed for almost two months until earlier this week that it had originated in a seafood market in Wuhan that locals had contracted it from animals in, say, bat soup or snake tartare. That is not the case. The Lancet published a study last weekend demonstrating that of the original 40 cases, 14 of them had no contact with the seafood market, including patient zero. As one epidemiologist said, that virus went into the seafood market before it came out of the seafood market. We still don't know where it originated. Could have been another seafood market. Could have been a farm. Could have been a food processing company. I would note that China, that Wuhan also has China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that works with the world's most deadly pathogens to include, yes, coronavirus. If the coronavirus did leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, it wouldn't be the first time a deadly virus has emerged out of a Chinese research institution. 
It's pretty inflammatory rhetoric for a U.S. senator to be putting out to military leaders on the Senate floor. But that wasn't all Tom Cotton did. He kept going. He tweeted on February 9th, Fact, Superlab is just a few miles away from that market. Where did it start? We don't know, but burden of proof is on you and fellow communists. Open up now to competent international scientists. Again, more rhetoric designed to get China to allow some kind of weapons inspector style event to happen inside their country. It couldn't be more obvious what they're trying to set up here. On February 16th, Senator Tom Cotton joined Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo from Fox News. He again raises the possibility that the virus originated from a high-security biochemical lab in Wuhan. He said, We don't have evidence that the disease originated there, but because of China's duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning, we need to at least ask the question to see what, evidence, see what the evidence says. And China right now is not giving evidence on that question at all. Okay. Welcome back. The Chinese Communist government appears to be pushing a new account of events that presents President Xi Jinping as taking early action to fight coronavirus, according to today's New York Times. But in doing so, the authorities there are also admitting for the first time that Xi Jinping was aware of the virus before he first spoke publicly about it. Meanwhile, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton has been calling out China for its response to this outbreak, suggesting the virus may have come from China's biological warfare program. The Chinese ambassador to the United States responded this. It's very dangerous to stir up suspicion, rumors, and spread them among the people. For one thing, this will create panic. Another thing, that it will offend up of racial discrimination, xenophobia, all these things that will really harm our joint efforts to combat the virus. Of course, there are all kinds of speculation and rumors. So far, at least 69,000 people have been infected with coronavirus. Over 1,600 have died. Joining me right now is Senator Tom Cotton himself. He sits on the Senate Armed Services Committee. He has been speaking out about China's response to this fatal virus. Yeah, so Maria, here's what we do know. It, this virus did not originate in the Wuhan animal market. Epidemiologists who are widely respected from China, who have published a study in the International Journal of the Lancet, have demonstrated that several of the original cases did not have any contact with that food market. The virus went into that food market before it came out of that food market. So we don't know where it originated, but we do know that we have to get to the bottom of that. We also know that just a few miles away from that food market is China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that in researches human infectious diseases. Now, we don't have evidence that this disease originated there, but because of China's du duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning, we need to at least ask the question to see what the evidence says. And China right now is not giving any evidence on that question at all. So, so this super lab that you refer to, this super lab is the only one of its kind in this area, in Wuhan, in the province, uh, that, that, that area, and, and what do they do with the super lab? It's unclear, Maria. Uh, we have such laboratories ourselves in the United States run by our military in large part done for preventative purposes or trying to discover vaccines or to protect our own soldiers. China is obviously very secretive about what happens at the Wuhan laboratory. We don't know, again, where this virus originated. That's why it's so important that we at least ask the questions and get the evidence. But China continues to block our ability to ask those questions and get that evidence. But 
in terms of getting to the bottom of it, the Centers for Disease Control wanted to go into China. The U.S. has offered a lot of help, including sending the CDC in there to investigate exactly where this originated and, and how severe it is. But they said no, right? That's right. The Chinese government has consistently blocked American scientists, who are obviously the very best in the world, from going to Wuhan, going to Hubei, trying to provide assistance to uh, make sure that this virus is contained to the greatest extent possible or discover its origins to shed light on what that may mean for successful testing and vaccines. But the Chinese Communist Party continues to refuse that offer of assistance from the United States. Now, the Chinese ambassador called the notion of biological warfare, quote, absolutely crazy, accusing you of trying to spread misinformation and panic. What's your response there? I mean, we don't want to create panic, but at the same time, people need to be educated in terms of what exists in this region in China. Well, the burden of proof right now is on the Chinese Communist Party and the ambassador uh, of China and his fellow communists. The Chinese ambassador to the United States on some comments you made recently, I believe you suggested at least that the virus could have come from China's biological warfare program. Uh, the ambassador from China pushing back pretty strenuously against that. What do you think about his comments on this matter? Well, first off, I would note that he didn't deny that China has been deceitful about the origins of this virus. There were reports in December and January that it started in a food market in Wuhan. We now know, based on conclusive evidence, that it did not start in that market. It went into the market and came out of it. I don't know where it began. I do know that we need to get to the bottom of it, and we do need to ask the questions about the super laboratory that is in Wuhan. There are too many unanswered questions, and China has been too deceitful and too incompetent in managing this for us to just take the word of the Chinese Communist Party. Mm. I have two responses to the Chinese ambassador. One, the thing that really is harmful, that really spreads fear, is China lying about the origins of this disease and about the number of people who have it and excluding American and other Western scientists from China to try to get to the bottom of it. Second, in terms of the claims of racism, the Chinese people are the first and the worst victims of the Chinese Communist Party. So this is starting to smell very familiar, right? This is like the Saddam Hussein anthrax stuff. On February 25th, 2020, about a week later, on a Hudson, on a Hudson Institute podcast, The Realignment, Senator Tom Cotton goes into why we need to be extremely adversarial towards China. Well, the short answer to your first question is you cannot trust the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you know, about six weeks since the public um, revelation of this coronavirus, um, they're still obfuscating the origins of it and the, probably the full extent of it in China as well. Um, so we don't know, for instance, yet what the reproduction rate will be, how many persons, one infected person could then infect, or what the mortality rate will be. We don't know the origins yet uh, because we do know that it didn't originate in that food market. Those are all examples of how the Chinese Communist Party is still not being transparent, trying to save face and protect themselves and their own economy. I think it's just another time to step back and reconsider the degree to which we've allowed China to integrate into our economy, being not a partner, not a friend, but a competitor, a rival, even an adversary. 
and I think it's going to accelerate what you've seen for economic and political reasons over the last three years. Issue then. Yeah, so I would say that we, the U.S. government made a lot of mistakes with China over the last 20 to 25 years, um, but it certainly has led to a shift of opinion among Republican leaders in Washington um, to where I and Republican voters have been for a pretty long time, is that China is not our friend or ally. They right. are a partner, they're a competitor and an adversary. Suddenly, a lot of people in the mainstream media actually started criticizing Tom Cotton for spreading dangerous conspiracy theories about China. Now, they really only went after Tom Cotton directly for this. And actually, places like the USA Today and a couple other outlets also mentioned Bill Gertz as being the origin for some of these theories. They don't really question who Tom Cotton is delivering this message for. Because again, Tom Cotton is a vessel for neocon propaganda. He always has been. So who are his neocon puppet masters now? My theory is that it's a mixture between Committee on the Present Danger China people and the think tank and people from the Trump administration and the State Department. Because we now know that an anonymous State Department official was someone feeding Bill Gertz this information and this innuendo. And who knows if John Bolton is still in the mix somehow. We know that Steve Bannon is definitely behind some of this propaganda. We know that Frank Gaffney is. We know that Bill Gertz is. We know that some Israeli intelligence officials are. But who inside the Trump administration is? What other former Trump officials are? I think Bolton might be involved in this too. John Bolton, the same guy who warned us about Cuba's biological weapons lab. On March 25th, 2020, Tom Cotton again appears on Fox News with Steve Ducey and says, China unleashed this plague on the world and there will be a reckoning when we're on the backside of it. Yeah, things like antibiotics and ibuprofen and Advil are made in China for the most part. It's time to bring that manufacturing capacity back to the United States. It's time to bring a lot more back to the United States from China. China unleashed this plague on the world, and there will be a reckoning when we're on the backside of it. All right, let's see what happens. On March 29th, Tom Cotton says the Chinese government is still lying about coronavirus as evidence indicates rising death tolls. This is from Real Clear Politics. Or look at some of the mortuaries in Wuhan themselves, itself. They say they've only had 2,500 cases that have resulted in deaths or so, yet a single mortuary has ordered more than 5,000 urns. You can look at these basic facts to know that the Chinese Communist Party is still lying today as they were in December and January, and that's why what could have been a local health problem in Wuhan turned into a global pandemic from which more than 2,000 Americans have now died. Wow. And in fact, you had questioned how it originated from the beginning. You joined me one month ago and I asked you how this started. And here's what you said. Listen to this. I've got to get uh, your reaction to this. Watch. We don't know where it originated, but we do know that we have to get to the bottom of that. We also know that just a few miles away from that food market is China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that researches human infectious diseases. Now, we don't have evidence that this disease originated there, but because of China's du duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning, 
we need to at least ask the question to see what the evidence says. And China right now is not giving any evidence on that question at all. In fact, Senator, they did not allow the CDC in to get to the bottom of it to investigate how this originated, the severity of it. Can you tell us more about this uh, super uh, lab, this uh, level four biochemical lab that you mentioned in Wuhan? What do they do there? Yeah, Maria, it's not just that they won't allow the CDC into the country. They also have kicked out reporters from The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times and The Washington Post. That's the hallmark of a communist government that is trying to cover up the biggest story in the world. What we know now is about the same as what we knew a month ago, very little. We do know that the virus did not originate in that food market or the wet market or whatever you want to call it in Wuhan. Even the Chinese Communist Party has now acknowledged so that. All the way back in December, though, we knew that origin story was a myth. The Lancet published a study of the first 40 cases of coronavirus, and 14 of them had no contact with that market. So the virus went into that market, which acted as an accelerant before it came out of that market. As for what's happened in that uh, bio uh, safety level four laboratory, the super lab in Wuhan, we still don't know because the Chinese Communist Party refuses to come clean. We do know that they have researched coronaviruses mm. and there are legitimate reasons to research coronaviruses, trying to identify perhaps therapeutic drugs or vaccines, but we don't know the origin of this virus still to this day. Now, again, well it's not clear exactly who the source of this propaganda is. We know that it's getting into zero hedge. We know that it's getting into a lot of conspiracy media. In fact, Natural News, um, a website run by an InfoWars regular guest named Mike Adams, who's uh, you may know from conspiracy media in general. Here's what he had to say in an article from a couple days ago about coronavirus. So this, I'm just mentioning this as an illustration of how a lot of conspiracy right-leaning media is now absorbing this neocon propaganda from an unknown main source. Mike Adams says, quote, The real reason for this call-up is that Trump and the Pentagon know the coronavirus is just the opening salvo in a new world war that was initiated by China to crush America and achieve world domination. The one million reservists are being activated because the Pentagon expects battlefield casualties on a large scale. So Mike Adams is believing that this is all some kind of opening salvo for World War III and that China is the one responsible and they've attacked America. I mean, this is obviously all very dangerous rhetoric here. Now, just going back to Radio Free Asia for a little bit, the State Department funded outlet that broadcasts in Asia this U.S. State Department media outlet gets into the anti-China propaganda mix in the wake of the COVID-19 global pandemic. It was also insinuating, but not making the claim directly, the China bioweapon Wuhan lab theory, apparently before anybody else was. So this is, again, more evidence that the State Department could be the source of this information. And that leads us to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who could be involved in this as well and helping disseminate this disinformation through the U.S. media and even the conspiracy media. Now, Bill Gertz also quoted Radio Free Asia and claims that they ran a television report from 2005 showing, quote, China's most advanced virus research laboratory. So what exactly was Radio Free Asia trying to insinuate by running this? 
running this in mid-January after the pandemic had already started. What was the insinuation there? I mean, it's pretty obvious what the insinuation was. There's also a really viral Radio Free Asia article right now that I already mentioned before that's going around suggesting that Wuhan deaths are being massively covered up, claiming the bodies are being burned and hidden because of surplus of cremation urn orders by Chinese people. This article is titled, Estimates Show Wuhan Death Toll Far Higher Than Official Figure. It's from March 27th. And of course, this once again is taking the focus away from the fact that our country is extremely underprepared to deal with this situation. And we cannot accept that China might actually be dealing with it in a really, really strong way compared to us. But I'm going to have to end part one of this two-part podcast here for now. If you liked what you heard today, please consider donating to Media Roots Radio at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. And following this part one podcast will be a part two that'll dive much deeper into the neocon think tank, the Committee on the Present Danger, China. See you soon. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.